Good morning. Good to see all of you. Um, I have a little piece of trivia. Um, when Cynthia, Pastor Cynthia, asked if we remember kindergarten, I have no memory of kindergarten because I didn't go to kindergarten. It didn't exist in, in the Stone Age. <laughs> now, uh, for whatever reason, when I grew up in Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, they didn't have kindergarten. So I spent five glorious years with my mother. And when I turned six years old, on the first day of class in September, I cried like a baby because I was a mama's boy. So this is why my wife, Jolene, says to me that I never learned to share. <laughs> she reminds me of that every time I try to take too much of something. You didn't go to kindergarten. You didn't learn to share. <clears throat> so... Well, I uh, appreciate the pastor having enough faith in me to share with you this morning. I, I promise no heresy. Um, I will try to toe the line and uh, give you a word from the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to read a passage of Scripture that's in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 17. It's a little bit longer passage, but there's some things that I want to make note of here in this passage. <clears throat> so in verse 1 of Luke chapter 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine and other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You may be seated. If you have uh, been in the Bible study, adult Bible study on Wednesday night, uh, I teach there occasionally, and you've probably heard me say that Luke is my favorite gospel. Now, I like all the gospels. I often tell my students in the past, I used to tell them, choosing your favorite book is like choosing your favorite chocolate in a box of chocolates. They're all good, but some you prefer over others. And so I like, uh, I like the Gospel of Luke, and I, I suppose you could ask me why, and I would probably have several reasons. I suppose one might be because Luke uh, is probably a Gentile. A little bit of debate about that, but not much. Most scholars think that he's a Gentile. In fact, he's the only Gentile that wrote any of the New Testament. All the rest of the writers are Jewish. Luke also wrote, and you probably didn't know this little bit of a fact, most of the New Te- more of the New Testament than anyone else. Now, you probably thought it was Paul, right? Yeah, you would think that. You would think that. But actually, Luke wrote 25% of the New Testament and Paul 23%. So Luke edged him out. If you think about it, Luke's gospel and the book of Acts are actually quite long. And some of Paul's epistles are pretty short. So Luke wrote most of the New Testament. But I really like Luke because, well, one, he's a really good writer. If you take time to examine the gospel and the book of Acts, you'll see that. But also some of the themes that he weaves through his storytelling are themes like prayer, the importance of prayer. He, He emphasizes more than any other Gospel, the prayer life of Jesus. He continues that in the book of Acts to show that prayer was an important part of the early church. Discipleship, another one. Jesus does a lot of discipleship teaching in the Gospel of Luke, and then the disciples live it out in the book of Acts. Giving or generosity is another one that he talks about. Giving to the poor, taking care of those who are down and out. And of course, there's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. A big one where he shows that it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that empowers Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And it is, in fact, the Holy Spirit that empowers the church to be the church and to be the witnesses for Jesus Christ. I also like reading Luke because Luke's a historian, if you Notice in the first four verses of his book, he takes time to tell us, or actually more so Theophilus, but it's written for our benefit as well, that he has carefully investigated everything. And what is it that he has investigated? What is it that he has talked to the eyewitnesses about? What is it that he has checked on those others who have written about the life and teachings of Jesus? Well, he tells us in verse 1, he, want, he, he is undertaking to write up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. The things that have been fulfilled among us. The word fulfilled in the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts is a word that occurs quite frequently. 
I checked it very quickly, and in just in the English version, it, it occurs something like 18 times, if I remember correctly, in Luke and in Acts. Luke is very interested in showing the things that are fulfilled among us. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, the word fulfilled for me carries a sense of expectation. Because it implies that if something has been fulfilled, then that means something has been promised or at least said that it would be done. Sometimes we say we're going to do something and we do it. Therefore, we fulfill our word. We do what we say we're going to do. But then there's other times we say things or we promise things to each other and we don't fulfill them. We don't see them come to pass. But Luke is interested in someone who is able to make promises and to keep them. In fact, he doesn't make promises unless he keeps them. He doesn't say a word unless he fulfills it. And that's God. The scripture says <clears throat> that whatever God says, he does. And whatever he promises, he always fulfills. You can count on it. God never wastes his breath. He never says anything he doesn't mean. He's not like us. And I'm thankful for that. So when God says something in his word, or when he says something to you, and you know it's God, because as we walk with God, we start learning what it is to hear God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. We start learning God's voice. We start hearing him say things to us. We start hearing him promise things to us. He starts telling us things that he wants to do in our lives, that he's going to do in our lives. And we expect the fulfillment of those things. In fact, we get excited about the fulfillment of those things. And once we have that excitement, once we have that sense of expectation, we also have a sense of hope. Because fulfillment also implies hope. Who expects something that they don't also hope for? If you have no hope that it's going to happen, then you don't expect it to happen, and you know it won't be fulfilled. But the scripture says that everyone who puts their hope in him will never be put to shame. And there's another one that says everyone who puts their hope in him will never be disappointed. That's why we put our hope in God. But what happens when God promises something, when he says something, but it doesn't look like he's fulfilling it? It doesn't look like he's doing what he said he would do. What happens then? Discouragement. You're exactly right. Discouragement. That's right. The writer of Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. So if we don't see our hope realized, we get disappointed. But what do we do when it's God? When we believe that God has said something, in fact, we have his word on it. We know that he said it, but he's not doing it. He's not acting. What do we do? We have to have faith, we have to trust, but sometimes that runs out, doesn't it? Seems difficult, seems challenging. The Israelites found them, themselves in this kind of situation. 
in 2019, <clears throat> I was um, <clears throat> on sabbatical with North Central University. I, I taught there for 15 years. And 2018-19 was my sabbatical year, and so I was um, working and writing a book, and, and um, God began to do some things, began to say some things about leaving North Central. In fact, he was speaking to my wife as well about leaving her position. We knew that one day that God was going to return us to international ministry. We just knew it. I knew it. In 95 to 97, we were missionaries to Paris. We lived there and um, worked in a French church there, and it's the place that my teaching ministry was born. And we came back to the United States. I earned a Ph.D., and I got hired at North Central University. But I knew one day that God was going to return me to international teaching because the way my teaching ministry was born, the way God showed me that it's something he had called me to was actually in an international setting. I taught at a ministry school in London while we were missionaries. And I waited, I waited, I looked for that ministry to be, you know, to come about. 15 years at North Central, and I, I, 2019, the Lord says to me, it's time. So we give notice at our positions in August of 2019. I left North Central. I was excited. I was excited because this was a promise fulfilled. This was, this was expectation. This was hope. I had hope, and now it was being fulfilled. It was a realization of a hope that I had. I remember in April of that year, we made the decision in March, and in April of that year, I remember I was sitting in the car, we were going somewhere, Jolene was driving, I was in the passenger seat, and I I suddenly had a feeling of anxiousness. I thought, oh my goodness, I I hope this thing doesn't move too fast, I don't know if I can handle it. I have to sell our house. We wanted to move back to Paris because my sisters and my brother-in-law, my oldest sister's husband, were all living in Paris, they had retired from their jobs and gone back to Paris, gone to Paris to do ministry. Our plan was to join them in ministry. We were going to use Paris as a base, and we were going to fly to different mission schools and do our teaching, the thing I dreamed of for 25 years. And off, off we were going to go. We were going to sell our home, use the money to, to fund our ministry, and I walked away from a job, a salary, Jolene walked away from a job, a salary, and we headed off in international ministry. Woohoo, praise God. Six months later, do you remember what happened six months later in March of 2020? Horror, yeah, horror. <laughs> the pandemic hit. Jolene and I, in fact, were flying down to Florida. It was, I believe, March 5th. The pan, there were rumblings of the pandemic coming out of China. Hadn't really quite hit the United States, but it was coming. And um, my sisters and brother-in-law had flown over from Paris. They were in Florida, and they were there for three weeks, pack up a few things, and my sister was going to rent her house out, and then they were going to go back to Paris. 
The day that we landed on March 5th in Florida to spend some time with them in prayer and ministry preparation and planning, my brother-in-law was rushed to the emergency room. That was a Thursday, and by Sunday, he was dead. God, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? You ever ask the Almighty that? Careful. <laughs> Actually, the psalmists do that all the time, so I feel liberty to do that. He loves us. He loves me. So, But I was like, Lord, what are you doing? There's a, then the pandemic hit, and we got stuck in Florida for six weeks. Because nobody was flying at that time. Nobody knew what to do. It was panic, right? Nobody knew what to do. What, can we fly? Can we do this? Can we do that? We can't, can we go to the grocery store? We were washing everything that came from the grocery store. You remember doing that? Washing everything and setting it. We set it on one counter. We'd rub it down with, you know, disinfectant and put it on the other counter. And the crazy things we did, the things that we do out of fear, right? And we're in Florida. And finally, we made it back to Minnesota in uh, April sometime. And churches were closed. Fundraising was non-existent, pretty much, because you couldn't meet with people. You couldn't, you, the churches weren't open, so how do you raise funds? So here we are, a year after God said, okay, Phil, it's time. We haven't sold our home. We haven't raised enough money. We don't have much prospect of raising much money. We don't have salaries. And you're probably thinking to yourself, how in the world are you not in the poorhouse? Ah, but for the grace of God. I could tell you story after story, but we don't have time for that. But God provides. That is one of his promises. It's an expectation, and it is fulfilled. So we entered into a difficult period after that first year. We entered into a more difficult time. My sisters never went back to Paris, and our plan to go to Paris didn't materialize. And you think that you've heard from God, right? You think you've heard from God, but why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Sounds like Job. <laughs> why, why are these things happening? You, you ask yourself these questions, why are these things happening? And you don't always have an answer, and God doesn't always answer. And God talked to me a lot. So over the next couple of years, from 2020 to about 22, late 21, year, uh, 2021, we just waited. And sometimes waiting on, on God, waiting for things to be filled among you, waiting for that expectation to be realized, waiting for that hope to be fulfilled... You just wait, and you wait for God. I've had a couple of times, I'm sure you all have experienced it as well, in some form or fashion, where you've waited for God. You've waited for him to answer. Maybe it's the answer of prayer. Maybe he's actually told you that he's going to do what you've asked, but then he doesn't do it. I find that God has his own mind about him, and I really don't like it. I want him to act the way I want him to act. But he just won't. 
and he just doesn't. So the, the, years that we, the couple of years that we waited to see our, our ministry start to develop, which has now, praise the Lord, been fulfilled among us, um, I call that our wilderness wanderings. I think about the Israelites because they left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and after they crossed the Red Sea, God gave them a great deliverance. The sea came back over their enemies, destroyed the Egyptian army. They were on the other side, banging tambourines and dancing and singing. It was wonderful. And then they turned around and looked, and the next morning, there lay before them a vast desert. And the next three days, they went without water, and they were tested. And sometimes that's the way it is. When God said to us, it's time, in 2019, I was banging tambourines, not literally. I was, I was rejoicing. I was excited. This is it. I've been waiting for this forever. Then all of a sudden, we were in the desert. The pandemic hit. My brother-in-law passed away. What is going on, Lord? We're waiting for you to act. But God did speak to me and spoke to me a lot over those couple of years. And he talked to me not about Paris, not about the great international ministry that I would be involved in, but about me. Because often waiting is also a time of preparation. God uses waiting to develop us. Because it's more important to God who you are than that you get what you want. And so he develops us. And sometimes that comes in the pressure cooker of life, the difficulties of life. This is what's happening for the Israelites here. They have waited hundreds of years. They have promises. They know they have promises. Their, their rabbis and their teachers have told them the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's coming. He'll be the king of Israel. He's, he's of the throne of David. He's going to, to give us the freedom and restore the kingdom to Israel. Even, even after all that the disciples went through with Jesus, that was the very last question they ever asked him before he left the earth. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Of all the questions that you would want, if you weren't going to see Jesus anymore for a while, would that be the, what would be the last question you'd want to ask him? I don't know if I would think that would be the last question. But for them, it was really, really important because it was an expectation unfulfilled. Actually, it was fulfilled. But God was doing it in his own way and in his own time and this is what they had to understand, is that God has his own mind about himself, and he will do things the way he wants to do them. But it will always be for our good. Notice at the end of this story that the angel says, the child that will be born to you and Elizabeth will be a great delight to you and will be a joy for you. In fact, he'll be a delight to all of Israel. Do you think it was a delight all the years they waited with no children in a culture that said to them, there's something wrong with you. 
God doesn't favor you because you haven't had any children. In fact, you haven't had any sons. And the truth is, if you don't have a son, back then, and I apologize for, to you ladies for saying this, but it was the way it was back then. If you didn't have a man, you didn't have anything. That's just the way it was. And so a son was your social security. Your husband passes away. It's your son who takes care of you. This is why Jesus raised the widow's son at Nain. Notice she was identified as a widow. She didn't have anything. He restored her economic stability, not to mention all the other things he did for her. So this was a situation, it was a, it was a difficult situation that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth had to endure for years. They endured it. But finally their prayer is being heard. Their prayer is being answered. And the interesting thing about this story is that Zechariah is at the altar of incense, which is in front of the veil in the temple. It's inside the holy place and just outside the most holy place where God's presence is believed to be. And the priest would keep a fire burning on the altar outside where the burnt offering was burned every morning and every evening. But they also had to take some of that fire inside the holy place and put it on the altar of incense and burn incense before God. Part of the uh, responsibility of the incense was to be a fragrance that went up before God to remind him that Israel is his people and to overlook their sin. And some say the incense was also symbolic of the prayers of the people. So you have Zechariah in front of the altar of incense offering, according to his priestly duty, the incense on the altar. And outside, Luke tells us, the people are outside praying. So there's a certain symbolism here, a certain irony here that he's offering this incense that represents the prayers of the people. They're outside praying. The angel appears on the right side of the altar and says to Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. This is all about prayer. This is all about answered prayer. Israel's been looking for this prayer to be answered for a really long time, but so has Zechariah and Elizabeth. And God's going to, so to speak, kill two birds with one stone. He's going to give Zechariah and Elizabeth what they've been asking for, but he's going to give Israel what they've been asking for. But he's going to do it in his own way and in his own time. Paul says in Galatians 4.4 that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. In the fullness of time, God did this. And this is what Luke is talking about here. It's the things that have been fulfilled among us because it's the time for them to be fulfilled. And sometimes when God does things, he also waits for the situation to get really dire and difficult. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that sometimes. From my point of view, he always comes at the last minute. From his point of view, he's on time. But sometimes it always, as they say, gets darkest before the dawn. And if you look at this passage of Scripture... One of the things, because Luke's a historian, 
And so for him, he often gives us historical markers during the, in the story of Jesus as well as in the book of Acts. But the, the weight of these markers is, isn't just about, I want you to know when this is happening, because it is, that is part of it. He says in verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, in the time of King Herod. Well, for us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But if we were to say some of you older folks might remember the Carter administration. Wonderful man, not a great president. <laughs> I remember, uh, I believe it was mortgage interest rates were about 12%. And uh, you had the Iran-Contra affair and all those kinds of things. And um, if you were living during that time, or at least remember that time, know about that time, I could say to you, if I was writing a story, in the days of President Carter, and you'd say, okay, yeah, uh, gas prices were really high. Not as high as now, but higher. Uh, interest rates were horrible. Uh, and you could, you, know, you could go on and say things. Then you understand the time. You understand what's going on. Same thing for the people who heard this story. When Luke says in the days of King Herod, not only is he telling them that it's the end of the first century B.C., but he's also telling them these are times that are really dire and difficult. King Herod was not a nice guy. He got his kingship from the Romans, he was a Roman puppet, and he ruled most of Palestine, and he ruled it ruthlessly. He married into what was known as the Hasmonean dynasty, which was a dynasty of Jewish rulers that ruled Palestine for about 100 years between the Greeks and the Romans. He was a half-Jew. His mother was a Jew. His father was Idumean. He married into the Hasmonean dynasty and subsequently killed his wife and everybody in the dynasty because he didn't want anybody to threaten his, his throne. Josephus, who, a Jewish historian who writes at the end of the first century, says that Herod would dress up in peasant clothes and go out and mingle among the people because if he heard something, if he heard anything about insurrection, those people were gone and gone really fast. So now you can understand why Herod would kill all the babies, two years old and under, in Bethlehem, according to Matthew chapter 2. That's the kind of guy he was. Nobody threatened his rulership. The situation was difficult. It was dire. But God was about to act. And Luke wants us to know that. He's about to give the promised child. Not only is he given the promised child, John the Baptist, the prophet, who is to precede the Messiah, but he's also, we'll, you'll, we'll learn later in the chapter, that Messiah is coming. But on top of that, what had disappeared from Israel so many centuries ago, the spirit of prophecy was now back. And this was a promise being fulfilled. Jesus, God had told in Jeremiah and Ezekiel that he would remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and that he would put his spirit in them. And they would know how to obey him and to serve him. This was all that was about to take place. 
And this is a story that begins deep in the heart of Judaism and the holy place of the temple as an answer to prayer. So I suppose I would say in conclusion this morning that prayers are always answered. And we've heard that before, right? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes I don't know about maybe. I don't know if God ever says maybe. Maybe he does. I don't know. But he always answers because the scripture says that the eyes are always that the that the Lord's eyes are always on the righteous and that he's attentive to the cry of their heart. So God answers prayer. And I don't know I don't know if you've been praying for something. I'm sure you have and you haven't gotten it yet. Maybe you're waiting, maybe you're in a period of waiting, maybe you've been waiting for years, maybe you've been waiting for months. I don't know. But what I read in this story is that God hears prayers. And when God hears, the angel says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. But it was, your, what he's saying really is that not only has your prayer been heard, but it's being answered. God always hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And he calls us sometimes in the time of waiting just to trust in him just to lean on him, just to have faith in him. Even if the situation seems dire, I want to encourage you this morning that God is there. There were times, I remember when we finally did sell our house in 2021, in the summer of 21. I won't go into the whole story. It was a debacle. Um, I don't know why. I think I don't know why. I just leave it at that. But there was a point at which it got so difficult. I said to the Lord, I was sitting in the living room and I said, I looked out the window and I said, Lord, I just don't understand. Would you help me understand? Because I know that your understanding always brings peace. That night, about three o'clock in the morning, I got up, I woke up, I got up, went to the bathroom and as I was going to the bathroom this scripture popped into my head James chapter 1 know that the trying of your faith works perseverance and when perseverance is finished you will be complete lacking nothing and I knew that God was saying to me this is happening because your faith is being tested just run with it. It'll work out. I had peace. I didn't get an answer. He didn't say to me, you know, tomorrow, Phil, a buyer's going to walk in your house and he's going to pay you twice what you're asking. He didn't say that to me. I wish he had. (laughs) But, But he didn't. He didn't say that to me. He just said, know this, the trying of your faith works patience. Perseverance. And when that's finished, you'll be whole lacking nothing. And as I said, God's more important about what he can do in us than what he can give to us. Would you stand, please? Let's go. Let's have a word of prayer. I ask the prayer team to come this morning. If you need prayer, if you'd like to pray about, maybe if you're discouraged, if your hope isn't being fulfilled, if you want to hear from God, there are people here who will pray with you and who will encourage you and help you. 
maybe even give you a word from the Lord that will encourage you. So let's pray this morning. Father, we just want to come before you. We're your kids, and we love you, and we know that you love us, and that you have at your heart our very best. And sometimes, Father, we don't always understand how you act or why you act the way you do or why you don't come through in the amount of time that we think you should. But we know that, um, as Paul says, that the will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. And that you call us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might know that will. And so I pray this morning, Lord, I pray for renewal. I pray for anyone here who might be Suffering or struggling or wrestling with unanswered prayer or waiting or wondering, wanting to know why you haven't come through. Lord, I pray that you would help us just to sense your presence and help them to sense your presence, to hear your voice, that still small voice inside. Give them understanding, Lord, that brings peace not be the answer right away, but just give the understanding, Father. You care for us. You called us into your fellowship, and your word says you're faithful. Your word says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, and love and faithfulness go before you. If it's one thing we know, we know that you are faithful no matter what the circumstances say. So we call upon your faithfulness, Lord. I call upon your faithfulness this morning to be an encouragement and a strength for every person here. And as as we walk out these doors today, Lord, I pray that we will walk out encouraged and strengthened in our faith and knowing that even though we have not seen what we hoped for, we have heard from the God who gives us hope. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.